positive feedback loop. Hello, welcome to Positive Feedback Loop. This is the podcast where we talk about things that we find interesting, we discuss topics that our listeners find interesting, and we learn a little bit about each other with each other, and a little bit more about the world, along with our guests. And speaking of guests, today we have Professor Ian Mascheter, Director of Entrepreneurship Activities at Boston University, and of course we have our lovely co-hosts, uh, Stephanie. Hello. And Ray. Hey, how's it going everybody? And as always, I'm Luis. So Professor, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, yeah, thanks very much for the invitation to be here today. Um, my name is Ian Mascheter. I'm um, I work in uh, both as um, an educator here at Boston University and also uh, running the extracurricular activities at the university through the uh, Buzz Lab. Um, we founded the Buzz Lab about three years ago, and since then we've run a, a number of events. And I'll I'll talk more about what we do a little later in the podcast, probably. Excellent. I think a good way to start maybe is to ask why entrepreneurship? Why is it critical? Well, so from a sort of macro um, side of things, entrepreneurship is necessary in the economy. It works out that almost all new jobs are created by new businesses. So it's a huge driver for the US economy and for other economies. So obviously universities have to take note of that and provide programs that, uh, that help entrepreneurship thrive and help create entrepreneurs. I have a follow-up question. You said that it's so important to create jobs, but don't large companies also, you know, large existing companies also create jobs too? According to the, the US Bureau um, of, of Labor, it seems that uh, that new companies are the ones that are, are responsible for all net job creation. It also seems that even at a large corporation, they have kind of an entrepreneurial or innovation part of what they do. It's almost like entrepreneurship is critical even to the larger corporations in this sense of creating something new. No, I think that's exactly right, Stephanie. And I think we're seeing that in a lot of corporations. I mean, we're all very excited that GE are moving into uh, Boston. They want to take advantage of the uh, innovators that are here, um, the access to, to talent, the access to technologies and uh, they're creating an open collaborative headquarters here in Boston. So that's very exciting. Well, that, that's, that's super interesting. And one of the things that I find fascinating about entrepreneurship, one of the things I think it's why it's vital is that we're in a global economy now. I mean, that's lar- largely been the case for a long time, but even more so now. And if companies are not innovating in a way, they're not looking towards other ways of doing things better instead of just their own ecosystem, then they're going to get swept away by competition coming in from abroad or from other places within the states itself. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I wanted to talk about today is, is as we talk about entrepreneurship on campus, one shouldn't think that it's just about creating new companies. You know, we don't want to be measured by how many companies we create or how many dollars those companies raise that came out of the university. It's really about a transformation of minds. It's really about um, about getting people to have an entrepreneurial way of thinking. And that entrepreneurial way of thinking is about problem solving. It's about making things happen with limited resources. That's what you were talking about. That's what's necessary in a corporation, whatever size it is. There's this idea that entrepreneurship is all about creating a new business and let's count all the businesses that come out of the university. Right. 
So what metrics do you use then to kind of measure your success in a more holistic way? So this is a, this is a subject that a lot of universities are thinking about and tackling, is, is what are the appropriate metrics of judging whether your programs are a success or not? Those, those metrics are still evolving. I would imagine that the one that most of us are using at the moment is engagement. How, how many students are engaging in, in programs, uh, entrepreneurial programs on campus? How many engaging in entrepreneurship classes? But I think that what we're going to see, um, well, I already know some of these are, in, are in, uh, taking place now, is kind of longitudinal studies that study whether students that have been exposed to this what their outcomes are like in their careers compared to ones that haven't been exposed. But obviously that's going to take some time to conduct those those studies. Yeah, and hopefully that information comes back to creating an educational system that better gets pumps out people who are able to go out into the world and instead of, you know, that classic idea of don't just tell me the problem, give me a solution. And that's right. kind of what I think companies are looking for in terms of when they hire someone. Right, and, and speaking of like larger companies building these innovation centers and whatnot, do you find that you know anyone can put like a, f a few million dollars building these you know companies, but is the culture really there? Like, is the culture within these centers really entrepreneurial, or is it like still kind of held back by the larger corporate setting? Well, I think that's a great subject for, uh, for discussion and for study. I mean, there is this idea of corporate innovation and and is is one that obviously all u.s corporations uh, or most of them are, are tackling i think the results of that are still fairly mixed because i think the constraints of the larger companies sometimes are still preventing the the flowering of that innovation within within the corporation how do you feel about the abilities of large companies that are have been around for a while to change their culture to be more innovative and more entrepreneurial because I, I mean, as far as I'm aware, you know, companies as they start out, they tend to be very agile in the beginning. They tend to, if they're likely to succeed, right. they tend to be very innovative. They tend to move at a different speed. But as they get larger and larger and larger, just the fact that you have to create infrastructure and systems in place to kind of keep everything managed tends to ossify the way that a lot of companies do things. So how do you maintain the mindset of a small company to a degree without losing, you know, the capabilities of a large company. Well, again, that's a, a um, problem that many companies have tackled in in different ways. But but one of the things that I've noticed recently, and in fact, we're going to actually conduct a, a class on this for through our executive learning center, is this idea of can corporate staff use entrepreneurship techniques in order to innovate within their corporation? So the things we teach in class are things like lean startup, this idea of rapid iteration, and this idea of testing markets before you release product. And so we're seeing some of those techniques start to be adopted by corporations, by departments. And I think that's very exciting, the idea that there's this kind of bleeding over of these, of the, of these systematic ways of creating startups, bleeding over into, into corporate technology offices or corporate strategy offices. These classes are geared towards executives, so people with some experience already, so it's not yeah. you know, traditional students. Exactly. We're going to conduct the first one in May, and uh, yeah, the idea is we take um, corporate executives who have been learning all about or reading all about how startups create products, and then 
but thinking they can't do that within their own corporation. That's not the way we've done things for the last 20 years. Are anxious to be exposed to those techniques because, you know, um, entrepreneurship has adopted a more systematic way of product creation over the last 10 years, um, you know, following the work of Eric Ries and Steve Blank and making uh, entrepreneurship more into a science than, than an art. That leads me into a different question, uh, similar. It sounds like the, le that the teachings that you do means that these people can acquire these skills. It's not something that you're born with. So there's a lot of people who like have this thought that you are just born as an entrepreneur. You, you can't learn the skills, so you, you can't really be a great business person unless you're kind of born with it. So obviously you think differently. Yeah, I do think differently. I mean, one of the things that we say uh, that we say in class is that, you know, maybe entrepreneurship can't be taught, but it can be learned. So what we try and do with our classes is make our classes experiential so that in, a, in the kind of safe environment of a, of a classroom, students can take on the problems that they would take on if they were running their own startup. A lot of these, um, these techniques we talked about can definitely be learned and applied. And no, I don't believe that you have to be born as an entrepreneur. It's very interesting as I've gone through your starting new ventures class mm -hmm. and going through all the steps in a slow, deliberate way, focusing on really knowing how to do customer, inter customer interviews and how to do market validation and then looking at the financial model and spending time thinking about it because I feel like in other classes I've had, uh, it's been very theory-based. Mm -hmm. And so you say it's very important to have a financial model and you kind of professor might talk through, here's some things you can think about to calculate it. But then when I had to go through and fill out each section of this model of how am I going to make money, <laughs> I actually did learn experientially what I would need to spend money on that I hadn't considered before. And yeah. so it was very helpful. Good. It makes me happy to yes. hear that, Stephanie. Yes. So that's, I'm really a fan of experiential education. I feel like starting a business is in itself also an experiential education. So I actually have a question about the way that entrepreneurship has changed um, over time. How is it different being an entrepreneur today than it was, let's say, 20 years ago? I mean, I'll talk about some of the, the way that we've systemized creating companies, but I think one of the things to, to talk about now is, is that it's never been cheaper to start a company than it is now. And this is, this is why we've got a, an explosion of, uh, of startups. So, you know, whereas a, maybe a software company in 2000 would have to raise $5 million, now the impact of op the availability of open source software, the availability of cloud storage, computing, means that you can start your software startup with two or three people plus their laptops. Mm -hmm. And you can, just like you guys, yeah, and you can buy, you can buy the computing resources as you use them. And so... Now you're, now you're saying that I can maybe start a company on 100K or 150K. That's a huge difference than going out and raising 5 million from venture. So, you know, this is why we have this explosion of startups, not just here in Boston. Certainly it's happening here in Boston. We're getting more than 300 new startups a year here with more than maybe 1,600 in operation. But it's happening not just in the U.S., but it's happening all over the world. You're seeing this uh, explosion of, of, of innovation around the fact that it, it's now affordable. Clearly, this applies to um, a certain segment of the, uh, the new companies. Clearly, if you're 
building a life sciences company. It's still probably just as expensive as it was ten years ago. But but so clearly we're having a lot of the a lot of change um, brought on by things like open source and cloud computing. Do you think that the resources needed have changed then? Maybe less money is, is required, but because of the explosion of entrepreneurship in this age, maybe soft skills are much more needed or relationships or maybe it's it's a skill of how to thrive in a marketplace of a thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand apps. Yeah, I think it I think it, it puts the onus on execution. It, it really means that, that that the entrepreneurs have not got to use this as a kind of playpen. They've got to they've got to execute. And now, in order to get funding through, if you've got a web app or a, a mobile app, in order to get funding, you have to have shown traction. You have to have built some first version of the product. You have to have got some customers on the platform. You have to have some proof that the dogs are going to eat the dog food. It's no longer you know, I've, I've written an idea on the back of a napkin and I persuaded a VC to give me $5 million. That's um, mostly evaporated. Right, because there's no excuse. You, It's so cheap. Why not yeah. be able to do that? Kind and, of, and also from, a, that from an investor point of view, I'm also a, a member of Lunchpad Venture Group, one of the biggest angel groups, or the biggest angel group in town. We're getting so many uh, companies come at us. There's so much deal flow that one of the ways to pass that deal flow is to say, okay, we're only going to look at the companies that have actually their product is built and they've got customers on the platform because we have no idea how to judge these other ones. So actually, this brings me to an idea that I hadn't even thought about until just now. How does this kind of translate into the specter of bubbles? So we've seen, we saw the internet bubble, the dot-com era bubble, and we're seeing now this like the rise of the unicorns and a lot of money going into a lot of different tech firms that are very coming up really quickly. Everyone has a new app idea. Everyone has a new product they're coming out with. Right. And there's so many, there's so much infrastructure around making it easy to come up with these businesses. And investors are, as you said, you, you're having to back them away because mm -hmm. they're coming out from everywhere. Mm -hmm. So how does this, the economy kind of adapting to this to try to minimize the, the effect of possible bubbles if it is doing that at all? Well, it's, it's funny. I don't know why, but that's the third time in three days I've been asked about whether we're in a bubble. <laughs> <laughs> You're in a bubble of questions. I don't know why, that, why that's happening. I, I was an entrepreneur during the telecoms bubble. Based on the, on, on, on the huge demand for new internet services, we were busy building new um, products for the internet to run on. This was sort of the telecoms bubble kind of closely followed the dot-com um, bubble. You know, when I look back on it now, it was clearly a bubble. But when you're in the bubble, you don't know you're yeah. in the bubble. That's kind of sometimes the definition of it. So I don't see the same extremes that I saw during the uh, the, the telecom um, times when money was being handed out by all sorts of investors. Some who didn't know anything about telecoms. It was just created. A, mm. it, it just created this big influx of money into this sector, hoping for. Um, of quick returns. I don't quite see the same thing um, happening now. In fact, this idea that you have to prove that you've got customers in some ways is a kind of uh, antidote to a bubble, you know, because you're proving that people actually want this product or service. Can you actually talk a little bit more about your experience as an entrepreneur? What were products were you creating, selling? 
Yeah, so my career was in uh, the telecommunications sector. So I started in telecoms when I was 22, uh, spent the first, I don't know, five, ten years of my career dragging cables under computer room floors and designing networks and troubleshooting networks. It wasn't like a mainline industry. I often think, you know, computing was the glamorous industry and all those pe people who couldn't get into computing went into telecoms. Then we invented the internet. <laughs> and then um, and everything changed. And then, and then telecoms, you know, for a while became the sexiest industry on, on the planet. Um, and so um, during that period, uh, I was working in Connecticut at the time. During that period, I knew I had to be either in Silicon Valley or Massachusetts because that's where all the companies were being founded. I moved to, to Mass and uh, I founded a telecoms company in the, in the, uh, uh, the IP uh, routing space which we were selling to major service providers and to new service providers like Sprint or one of our uh, customers was a big internet service provider. After I did that, I, uh, I then went to another, they were VC funded, and then I went to another VC funded startup as CEO. So um, that was my my uh, career as a as an entrepreneur. So I've, so I've done the entrepreneurial thing and I've also been an investor as well. So I've kind of seen it on both sides and so that gives me, I think, a, a decent background to come and teach entrepreneurship. So on that note, I think that this is a perfect spot uh, to stop for a little bit and listen to our commercial. Um, we'll be right back, and we're actually going to dig deeper into that, ask some more questions that we find are meaningful to our listeners, maybe give them some tips on starting their own companies. Hi, I wanted to talk about the BuzzLab. The BuzzLab is BU's home for entrepreneurship on campus. We'd love you to get involved. Uh, you can get involved by joining one of the student clubs. Uh, you can join the community at bu.edu slash the hive. Or you can go to our website at bu.edu slash entrepreneurship, sign up for the newsletter, come to our office hours. We'd love to see you get involved, whatever school you're in on campus or if you're a student or an alumni. See you at the Buzz Lab soon. Welcome back. Uh, so we're here with uh, Professor Ian Masheter and we're talking as, again about entrepreneurship and some of his experiences. He Before the break, he talked a little bit about the fact that he has been on both ends of the entrepreneurial side, you know, being an entrepreneur and also being on the funding side of the equation. So do you have any advice for our listeners who are looking to do either of the things? Well, I think from an entrepreneurial point of view, that's probably the best thing to tackle. And maybe we'll talk about investing in a bit. What I would, the advice I give to entrepreneurs is, you know, look for problems that, that you want to solve. Look for problems you want to solve. Look for problems your friends have. Look for problems uh, your parents have. Look for problems that need solving. And then what you need to do after that is to make sure that this problem is, is, is worth solving. You know, is it, is it big enough? Do enough people have that same problem? And so one of the things we teach in class is, is how to go in and do customer problem interviews where you go and interview people, not with an idea of pitching your product, but with an idea of understanding what it is that they experience in their, in, in their lives. What, what, what are the problems that they have and do those problems match the things that you want to solve? So a lot of what we teach is about trying to validate the customers and validate the problem. I think from an investor point of view, that's a, that's a lot harder. You know, if you think about the venture capital industry, it's a very small industry. So breaking into that industry is, is difficult. Well, actually, I think maybe my 
best advice is go and be a successful entrepreneur and then go and be an investor. I was So we have a few questions actually from the question from Paul. Uh, one is, what characteristics do you think are important for an entrepreneur to have? The one I always answer on this question is, is you've got to have a passion and you've got to have persistence. So I think that you've You've got to really believe in yourself. You've got to believe in, in the fact that you want to create a company. I mean, entrepreneurship is, is tough. I mean, you know, building a company is difficult. It's got a lot of ups and downs. So you've got to be able to, to push your, your way through um, the downs. And so you've got to be passionate about it, and you've got to, be, uh, you've got to keep uh, persisting through what looks like um, some bad times. Interesting. Another question is kind of related. So how do you help these students actually develop these kind of characteristics? Is it something that you can... Yeah, and I'm also interested in maybe how your work at the Buzz Lab and how that assists yeah. students and, in developing these. And if I might tack on an additional sub-question to this <laughs> three-partite question, how do you deal with that when, you, when people are coming from different cultural backgrounds where their approach to entrepreneurship might be very different right. uh, or how they see the idea of what's appropriate in terms of either approaching a company or an investor or uh, even the public can be varied quite significantly? Yeah, I think that's a, uh, that's, a, that's a great question. But I think as far as um, entrepreneurship is concerned, I think entrepreneurship is its own culture. In my time here at BU, I've, um, I've worked with Korean entrepreneurs, I've worked with Norwegian entrepreneurs, I've worked with uh, Chinese entrepreneurs, and the best ones exhibit the same characteristics as the American entrepreneurs, which is, you know, show me the wall, I'm going to go knock it down. I'd love to know more about what at the Buzz Lab you do to assist these entrepreneurs, yes. especially when they're starting at the very beginning. Yeah, so I have a lot of, um, a lot of first meetings with entrepreneurs where they talk to me about the, this idea that they're excited about, that they've just had. And most of those conversations I have with them, I focus on a couple of things. One is what I've already talked about, which is trying to help them understand how they might go and validate the market. But also, it, it, it's kind of a mystery to me, but a lot of the entrepreneurs haven't looked at what other products are in the market already. I do a little bit of searching and a little bit of discussion about, you know, they've got to find white space. You know, you can't go into a market that has already got, you know, 10 people doing it. So we're trying to help them create you know, unique products you, that people actually want to buy. And so validation plus research maybe on what the market looks like. I know there's a yeah. lot of also mentorship that may be available. So you, you asked about sort of what we do early. As the companies, mm -hmm. as the companies evolve, we can connect them with, with mentors. We put them into programs. One of our most successful programs is our Summer Accelerator program where we put them through a 10-week a focused program. Uh, we give them stipends so that they can focus on their company during that period. And during that time, we connect them with mentors that can help them. Um, and then they present to investors at the end of the program. So it's kind of based on, on the accelerator programs that we've seen from companies like Y Combinator and Techstars, but it's put in place uh, particularly for uh, the, the needs of, of early stage BU entrepreneurs. And I've been really impressed with the quality of the different startups that come through and how they've developed over time. Seeing them when I first came to BU, yeah. sitting in the hive, working on their idea, or um, having space 
you know, provided to them. And then seeing them one or two years later and where they've come is very fascinating to see their development. And that's honestly, that's the, the psychic reward for me doing my job. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, you know, to see people, I mean, one of the ones I, I talk about is two young undergraduate female students who had the idea for healthy ice cream. And the company was Snow Monkey. And I saw them develop from the first their first recipe, which frankly, some of them weren't too good, to, <laughs> to a product that's on shelves in many stores in California. And that's a really cool experience for me. And it was really cool to watch these two young women grow as entrepreneurs. And But, you know, back to that passion thing, they both had passion for it. Just a quick story about them. I knew and they knew that they had to get into a commercial kitchen to in order to make their product. And one of the ones they wanted to get into wouldn't return their emails, wouldn't return their phone calls. And for a lot of students, they would have quit then. Those two marched over there and started banging on the doors until somebody would talk to them. That's, that's the entrepreneurial that's spirit. Yeah, that's, that's the entrepreneurial that's spirit. Um, actually, that brings me to a question that uh, it's not from one of the listeners, but in terms of, we've talked a lot about starting the startup and bringing it into success, but how much and when should founders of any sort of startup and entrepreneurs think about exit strategies? How, when should that be a part of the equation and how much of the equation should it be at that stage? Oh, well, it's a you know, complex question. Um, I think the simplistic answer is that the startups should concentrate on growing the value of their company. And if they concentrate on that, exit will take care of itself. I could give you a much more nuanced answer about some of the things maybe you have to do to prepare, but, but I think I would like to leave entrepreneurs with that message, which is, you know, focus on the value because one of the things I was taught early on is that companies get bought, they don't get sold. So if you create lots of value in your company, somebody will come knocking on your door wanting to buy it. I've also so, seen this divide between people who say you should think about an exit strategy and those who say you're not doing entrepreneurship right if you're thinking about an exit strategy. So what camp do you think? I'm definitely in the camp of, of, of build value to build value in your company, you know, build a great product, satisfy mm -hmm. customers. I think that if you're in the if you're in the mindset of every day coming to work with that on your mind, you're gonna build a better company than if you come to work every day thinking what do I have to do in order to sell this puppy? Right. <laughs> Seems a little pessimistic yeah. in some ways. <laughs> exactly. Another question from the listeners. Uh, this is, does Boston University have a full semester where students dedicate their entire time just to starting a real company? For example, I think Babson College has something like this. Yeah, we, we don't, though. That's a class we actually have under consideration. Um, I think the closest we have, we have the Summer Accelerator program where and now we can give stipends thanks to generous support from our alumni so that people can, students can really focus on the idea. So I think it's Summer Accelerator. And then also we have a class both at the undergraduate level and the graduate level. Um, actually, the graduate one both of you have taken, mm -hmm. um, which, which tries to simulate that idea of starting a company. But it, the, the idea of copying the Babson classes, or and it's not just Babson, or some other yes. uh, some of the universities have that. We're definitely thinking about that, and we're in the process of talking about the design. Should it be one semester, two semester. Cornell does a two semester class, so yeah, we're we're definitely thinking about it. There's another fun question I can ask. Uh, right. What is <laughs> what is your favorite movie? 
Oh. What is my favorite movie? So I'm somebody that doesn't watch a lot of a lot of movies multiple times, but a movie that I've watched multiple times is Commitments. So I love that movie. I don't even know what that movie is. That movie. It's, an Al- it's an Alan Parker <laughs> movie, and it's about a bunch of Irish kids forming a band, but forming uh, a soul band. Soul band. So yeah. even though they're white Irish working class kids, they're, they're, they're starting a soul band in Dublin, and um, directed by Alan Parker, who went on to do uh, Slumdog Millionaire. So mm. it's a great movie. Why does it resonate with you so much? Well, do you want to start a soul band? <laughs> it's not it, the the bit I like about it, but I don't. I'm I'm a little reluctant to tell you why I like it because it's a, spo- <laughs> it's a spoiler for people oh. watching the. Okay, so the, spoiler it's, alert! It's, it's a 1991 <laughs> movie. I think the statute of limitations on spoilers. Well, none of, you, none of you three have heard of it. So, That's true. So what I like about it is the, the the interaction between the characters, but at the end, the band is not successful. So it's sort of. Uh, dissolves at the end, so it's not one of those sort of movies where yeah the band goes on to yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. It, it, and um, but you you kind of fall in love with these characters, so that's why I like it. Do you have a favorite band, soul band, or you know <laughs> other genres? <laughs> well, you know people um, people have come to my office now that I have multiple posters of David Bowie on my wall, so I think we should probably stick to David Bowie. David Bowie I saw for the first time when I was 14 years old. And I don't know what I was doing in the big city without (laughs) my parents, with my friends watching David Bowie, but I was. And I saw him for the last time when I took my daughter to see him on her 18th birthday. So I think that's kind of a cool story. I mean, the music industry is an interesting platform for discussing entrepreneurship because if you want to become a some sort of music icon a performer of some sort you can't it's not like you join an existing musician's brand equity you have to yeah build you don't really grow scratch. the bands that, that that much i mean yeah they might need a new drummer but they're not like getting acquisitions of other bands right. and like putting them underneath their most yeah. bands are startups yeah no i think it's broader than that as well it's a whole creative industries yeah mm. i mean if you're if you're and we've, we've, we ran a joint event with the School of Fine Arts um, last year, which was really fun to do because a lot of their students, when they, when they leave college, are entrepreneurs. You know, they're, yeah. they're putting a shingle up outside their house and they're saying, I'm a painter or I'm a musician, I'm a graphic artist. And, uh, yeah, they become, um, they become entrepreneurs. And, um, yeah, music music's a very good example of, uh, of a lot of things in entrepreneurship and in the 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 effect that the internet has had on on big industries and that's actually one of the really interesting things about the music industry in particular as well is that it's become really democratized to a degree right we have you no longer have just big publishers picking Mm -hmm. who is going to be a a cd Mm -hmm. that's gonna ship out to everyone there are so many different ways for bands to get their names heard get themselves out there and even the actual music creation process is so much easier now you don't even need to have skill with an instrument right you can use a computer for a lot of it right that's not to say you don't need skill but you don't need you there's a lot more variability in what you can do to create music and appeal to a niche audience whereas before you had to really just stick to the really popular things but you know they say about startup teams you need you need a hacker a hustler and a hipster. Uh, if you <laughs> Wonder think, which we are. Yeah, so I was thinking the same thing. If you equate that to, to rock bands, the hustler of that of that description is the person that goes out 
and books the gigs and uh, and schedules the recordings and makes it happen. And if you look at the young rock bands, the ones that everybody just wants to be a musician and write songs and not going to go anywhere. You have to have that balanced team. Somebody has to hustle. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you're the hacker, Luis. Sure, I'll take that. I'm going to call you the hippie and I'll be the hustler. <laughs> I just feel like that's hippie right. Do you guys agree? Hipster. Stephanie as a hipster is an interesting thing uh, to imagine, but I, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll accept it. Yeah. They are. I, that's what I've, I've brought to the table today. Now <laughs> Thank you. you know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I've gained an identity. This We've is been... interesting. Uh, Steph, be ready to become a meme. <laughs> you will oh, be no. a meme now. <laughs> oh, no. My memetic qualities. We're just going to give you uh, hipster Stephanie. Yep. Um, we're going we're gonna to have promotional material. We're going to make t-shirts of this. we got to monetize somehow. Done. Hipster Stephanie. Thank you. Have I become the mascot? Yes. You've become the mascot. So I want to go back to the film that you really love. Hmm. The commitments. And the commitments and the fact that they failed. A lot of entrepreneurs fail. Mm -hmm. How do we deal with failure? How do we cope or capitalize on it? What role does failure play in entrepreneurship? And in, 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 in other words, what's a good failure? Yeah, mm, basically. Yeah. So, uh, so that's one of my uh, favorite things to discuss um, when I'm talking to uh, international students, because I think one of the defining characteristics of uh, of the U.S. is that you don't pay a penalty for failure. Nobody looks down on you if you tried something and it didn't work. Um, you know, if you gave it your all, but the market just wasn't there. Nobody's, nobody's going to think badly of you. And the entrepreneur has learned a whole ton of things and will be a much better entrepreneur second time around. There are some cultures in the world where, where failure is not regarded as just a step on the journey. Um, it, it's regarded as something to be ashamed of. And I don't think you can create entrepreneurship in that environment. I mean, we were recently in Israel on an MBA trip and that's one of the things these Israeli entrepreneurs kept saying all the time. Nobody cares if you fail. People just want you to try. And so I think it's uh, successful entrepreneurial cultures, they have that in the middle of it, which is we just want you to try and you'll learn and then you'll go and be successful a second time. Which regions of the world do you think has that um, traditional culture where it's not very safe to fail? So, so a lot of Asian cultures... Mm -hmm have that and and you know I've, I've, I've had those kinds of conversations with uh, with students from Asian countries but again I think it's changing I mean I've had the good fortune to meet a lot of Korean entrepreneurs recently who are you know it's a very traditional society but some of the entrepreneurs that I meet don't look any different to me than American entrepreneurs I spend time with so actually continuing to talk about failure a lot of People, uh, failure has a really big emotional impact on people in general, right? Yes, mm -hmm. we, we say, you know, you dust yourself up, you get back on the horse right. and whatnot, but there's more to it. You know, you feel the failure. And part of that, I think, is that you tie yourself to your company, you invest yourself emotionally in it. Mm -hmm. And as if you see the failure beginning, if you see your company in a decline, what are some of the things that entrepreneurs can do to make sure that they come out of it in that successful failure situation rather than a more disastrous uh Series of events, yeah. Yeah, I've gone through that and mentoring a few young entrepreneurs as I, as their companies are beginning to fail. And yeah, it's a it's a it's a tough emotional time for them. 
But what I've been saying, what I say to those entrepreneurs is, you know, you've got to, you've, you've just, you've got to treat this as a, as an experience. And, and one of the techniques I, I talk to them about is think about what you'll think about this experience in five years time. You'll look back at it and say, look at all those things I learned. It was a learning experience, not something that, that, that defined my life. And so, you know, project forward when you're in that situation. And the other advice I give them is, is don't get so embedded in your company and trying to keep it alive that you don't keep building your network and, and don't keep cultivating your network. So, you know, it's not acceptable that this good contact of yours, you've not, you've not spoken to for two years. You've got to spend some time, you know, keeping that network current so that you've got something to, to fall back on if your startup fails. Are there startups that still fail despite their skill at pivoting? Or does any pivot really pull a startup out of failure? Oh, no. No, no, no. I, I, I've definitely seen startups pivot to a market that was no better than the first market. And I've also seen, we, I also had a startup uh, entrepreneur come into one of my classes once and he went through all of their pivots. And his big message was, they almost had like pivot fever. You know, I mean, they were they were pivoting every few that's weeks. That's your other favorite band. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's the band that's going to start. Yeah. Um, They're on the court playing basketball. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think I think some companies pivot to success. I would I would venture to guess that more companies uh, pivot and still can't find product fit to market. And I think with that, we we've talked a lot about all the different phases of, well, not all of them, but most of the phases that entrepreneurs go through, you know, their startup mm-hmm. and how, what the Buzz Lab can do for them, mentorship and how, what things you can do as a company as you develop and then some of the things to do either as you exit or fail as a company, what are some of the things you can do with that? And for more information, again, you can reach out to the Buzz Lab at bu.edu slash entrepreneurship. Any final thoughts or kind of advice for our listeners interested in entrepreneurship? I think that it, in terms of, I get asked a lot by um, students, should I go and be an entrepreneur or should I go into a, in, into a corporate job? I, I think both of those are legitimate paths. I think you have to kind of know yourself as a person a little bit. The path to entrepreneurship uh, that most people take and is probably the most statistically successful is you go and work for a company, you build up a skill set, you then spot problems. You can't understand why your company is not solving those problems. You pitch that they should. They ignore you. And you say, okay, well, I'm just going to go and form a company mm-hmm. and we're going to solve it. So I think that, you know, that's that's probably the, a preferred path in some ways. But I also have met um, students who they're just going to be entrepreneurs. Then they have no interest in working for anybody else. They just want to go and do something, and and my job is not to stand in their way, is to help them. So I think a little bit about uh, knowing yourself, but you know, expose yourself to startup community, go to network events, talk to entrepreneurs, and build your skill sets so that you can be of value to them. Great advice. Thank you very much. And with Thank that, the, this is the end of today's uh, positive feedback loop. Uh, we would like to thank you for listening. I'd like to thank Professor Masheter uh, yes, for being here you. with us. Um, and again, please remember to listen to the podcast, subscribe on SoundCloud, uh, review us on iTunes, and reach out to us on social media and uh, on Twitter at the PFL Podcast and on Facebook as well. 
And thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful day and stay crazy. Stay, stay crazy. crazy.